When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by WorldwideGolfShops.com. Be sure to go out to WorldwideGolfShops.com for all of your equipment, apparel, and accessory needs. They've even got training aids. They've got all the great stuff from all the brands that you hear on our podcast every week. So once again, that is WorldwideGolfShops.com. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered podcast, Adam Fonseca. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the show. This is the Golf Unfiltered podcast, and I'm your host, Adam, from GolfUnfiltered.com. Follow us all over social media at Golf Unfiltered. And you can send us an email, adam at golfunfiltered.com. Hello to our friends over at thehackersparadise.com. And for those who don't know, we are part of the THP Podcast Network, including our friends over at Off Course, Dan and Rob, and our friends over at Range Days. And, of course, a quick shout-out to our friends over at Cleveland, Srixon, and Zegzio. A lot of great stuff has come out recently from those brands. Been playing them all year long and last year as well. Continue to do so and continue to love it. Today, folks, we bring back on Mr. Mike Statura from Golf Digest. He has been on in the past. He has talked a lot about uh, golf equipment with us, just about the ins and outs of the business itself. And there has never been a better time to talk about the golf business than right now because, ladies and gentlemen, it is booming. If you follow Mike on Twitter, at Mike Statura, you know that he has been tweeting out a lot of different data points, nationally, Golf Foundation, Golf Data Tech, as well as a few others, talking about just the percentage increase in not only rounds played, but also equipment sales. And so we dive into all that today in today's show. If you're interested in that sort of thing, I think you're going to find a lot of new information here that you probably previously did not know. And let us know your thoughts on it as well. Again, you can send us an email, adam at golfunfiltered.com, or you can find us all over social media. Today's episode is also brought to you by the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. No big hype, no big price, but definitely a big deal. Take advantage of their factory direct model where you cut out the middleman and get the best products shipped to your door direct from the company. They've got a demo program to try out their products before you buy, a trade-up program to get these clubs in your hands even quicker, and special financing where you can split your payment into four to make these clubs even more affordable. Go to BenHoganGolf.com to learn more. That's right, folks. Welcome back to the show. As I mentioned earlier, I am very excited to welcome back Mr. Mike Statura of Golf Digest. Mike has been on the show a couple times in the past to talk mainly equipment. Uh, But Mike, today we're going to talk a little bit about just the boom in the golf industry as we're all experiencing and you've been tweeting pretty actively about. Welcome back. Thanks, Adam. It's uh, uh, I don't think anybody in golf would have predicted where we are you know, back in March, I think there was a general sense that we're all going to be getting jobs at Walmart. <laughs> and uh, uh, now Walmart wishes it was selling golf clubs. That's how how big the, the switch has been. And, and, you know, quite honestly, I think uh, some major manufacturers 
made decisions in March and April that if they knew some of the things that were going to happen, probably would have made different decisions. But uh, uh, totally unpredictable, a bit of a roller coaster. And I still think there's a lot left on the ride, uh, positive or negative. It's been very much a wild ride for us to kind of watch how things have played out. For the longest time, obviously, golf in most states across the country was one of the only things you could do. Uh, and uh, clearly, we're seeing a boom in business. I mean, what are some of the things just at a very high level, and then we can dive deeper into it, uh, are you seeing on your end? Well, I think it all starts with participation. And, and everybody who's, whether you're uh, an independent retailer or a, a major publicly traded golf company, if people are playing golf, the natural move after that is people are buying equipment. Forget about the sort of consumables like golf balls anybody who plays three four five times especially those who haven't played in a long time realizes i've got junk in my bag and and i want to get new stuff and i don't want to be embarrassed by taking out a persimmon fairway wood which when you've got a lot of new golfers and you're you're seeing you know maybe a 20 percent increase in in uh beginning or new golfers, which would be, you know, higher than sort of tiger boom numbers. So that's unheard of. And, and so those, those golfers are coming in and wanting to spend money. On top of that, you've got, uh, uh, like you mentioned, not a lot of other alternatives. And it's a great way to get out of the house with the family and, and, it's an easier conversation to buy new clubs because, you know, if you're a dad and, and bringing out the kids, uh, you're saying, well, I'm going to buy the kids clubs. You know, maybe I'll get some for myself too. So I think that the top level numbers have been extraordinary. Uh, you know, I think golf data tech reported in, in July that it was the highest uh, month for retail sales of golf equipment since they've been tracking uh, since the late 90s. That's incredible. Okay, and you go from uh, from March and April where some of the numbers were literally zero at golf data tech reporting stations, and and now you've you've got companies, uh, you know, companies having great years. You've you've got. Uh, uh, independent and pro shops that didn't think they were going to do any business uh, all of all of a sudden setting record weeks for sales in consecutive weeks so in other words i talked to buddy christensen at golf dumb out, outside of dc and you know that's a, one of the legendary retailers he literally in three straight weeks from the end of may to early june set single week records for a store that's you know been around for 30 years so it's it's sort of mind-blowing and yet pretty i think pretty logical when you drill down and realize people are interested in uh trying to find something they can do that they feel safe doing they found this thing and once you find golf you find the addiction that is purchasing equipment. 
uh, it, the two are inextricably linked. Yeah, that is very true. And and listeners to this show can certainly relate to that, as I'm sure <laughs> you're aware. You know, it's funny from a personal standpoint. I know just people I've spoken to, such as, you know, the folks over at Worldwide Golf Shops, they have their best online sales month ever in June, followed by their second best ever in July. And it's just another testament to how quick the online business is going as well. Yeah, you go up and down the line. I mean, I think Callaway uh, in their second quarter earnings said their e-commerce business was up 50% year over year. Dick's Sporting Goods just did their second quarter earnings. And, and obviously it's bigger than golf, but uh, their e-commerce commerce business was up 194%. And, and it's, it's fueled two ways for them. Obviously, they've come up with this curbside end of their business so that you can literally go online, uh, select it, and drive over to the store and get it that day if, you know, assuming everything's available as it usually is because they've made these, this sort of switch over in their business model. Um, so, I mean, I think um, there, there's a couple of other things going on with the economics of this situation because uh, the typical golf pool of consumers is obviously generally a little bit more uh, well off. They generally work in jobs that are uh, conducive to work from home. Uh, and so if they're working from home a lot more or almost exclusively compared to what they were doing before, they're spending less money at work, you know, whether that's commuting or lunch or just general let's face it, when you have Zoom meetings, your dress code is a little bit different than it is when you have to go to an office. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so there are just this series of little and sometimes big expenses that, that are just eliminated. And then the, the, the big thing, and, and I think I sort of offhandedly tweeted this the other day, but you know, the big impediments to golf have been time, money, and difficulty, right? Well, time is suddenly been handed over to us because of the pandemic. Money has been handed over us, to us in the pandemic through different ways, through obviously the reduced cost of going to work. And then obviously some of the stuff uh, the government has thrown some folks way. And, and then the, this idea of difficulty is really thrown out the window because golf has become this getaway that exist independent of how well I play it. So once you eliminate those barriers, you've, as a consumer, you've decided to do this thing. Golf has welcomed you and peer pressure or just your general own dissatisfaction with your, the current state of, of the equipment, uh, you are naturally in a position to want to buy and have that, uh, that need satisfied as it will. So, I mean, you know, I, people have long talked about golf as, as the healthiest addiction. Well, part of an addiction is, is spending money to feed that addiction. And uh, that's exactly what happens with golf. I think uh, when you remove all these barriers, you know, it's interesting when you talk about the the removal of barriers you know which i want to touch on again here in a second but something that you mentioned earlier i mean rounds played 
is also up. It's, it's incredible at how many people are actually going to the golf course. And I know even speaking with some friends who have never played before, they just so happen to have grandpa's old clubs or dad's old clubs and they want to get out and try it. And then, you know, they come to me, they ask me for my advice. I'm like, you know what, just go out there and play. And more and more of that is happening. And I know that you tweeted out something not too long ago that, you know, as more rounds play are played, equipment sales go up. I mean, that's just a direct correlation. Oh, yeah. Well, it's as simple, obviously, as golf balls, right? Right. Especially if we've got a bunch of beginners playing golf, they're running out of golf balls by the you know fifth hole. But there, there is this, you know, what, whether you're the, the person running a local golf course or the CEO of a cushionet, you know rounds played means sales. And I think the uh, the rounds played numbers are staggering. Uh, July was, according to Golf Daddy Tech, was a 20% increase in rounds played. That is the largest increase in a peak season month ever. Uh, you know, and, and again, we, let's it's in April. There was no golf to be played in 25 or 30 or 35 states. Yeah. And and so, you know, we're, you know, basically operating in March and April at sort of zero or I, I think the rounds played in April were down 40 some percent. And through July, we're ahead of schedule uh, for rounds played. We're trending, I think, three percent up for the year, which uh, the National Golf Foundation said that was highly unlikely uh, to be on the positive side in, in, in May and it's really revised their forecast to say that there's almost no way that, uh, rounds played won't be positive for the year. Now, I think on the, on the equipment sales side, we are still, despite, uh, incredible months in, in, uh, in June and July and, and really a pretty good May for the latter half of May, we're still behind, uh, sales from last year. So uh, that's why I think this, this, you know, from a pure business standpoint, I think this next stretch of months will be really interesting to see, you know, you look at things like inventory levels, which are probably as low as they've ever been, uh, which is unusual for golf. Uh, You've got some definite challenges with the, the custom business, which is a, a that's been a lifeblood because fitting has become so so popular. But you know, it's not unusual right now, depending on what manufacturer you're looking at, to see a two, three, even a four week delay for a custom order right now. So I mean, it's a it's going to be an interesting stretch here if you compare where the equipment sales end of things is. And then you also throw in well, what's happening in the world around golf in terms of what other distractions or, or other life things are going to be part of the world that weren't part of the world in May, June, and July. You know, whether it's youth sports, whether it's kids going back to school, whether it's folks returning to some sort of normal office life, all of those things impact how rounds played first of all, takes place. And if, if rounds played sort of levels off or, or 
conversely, if it suddenly increases, you know, you could have uh, a last three, four months of the year, uh, again, be in record setting territory because you have major champions championships happening in September and November that can boost interest at a time when most people are, are clearly not focused on golf in traditional years. Yeah, that, that is very true. There's going to be a healthy amount of golf being, well, certainly in the last couple months, it was only the only sport out there that you could watch. Right. And now obviously the others are rolling back out and, but still there's a lot of attention paid on golf. And you had mentioned a few of the, you know, the larger OEMs, they're faring better. They're still a little bit behind in sales uh, comparatively. Is there a group that uh, isn't doing as well as you had thought. Like, for example, uh, when you mentioned some of the delays, I know some of the more direct-to-consumer, smaller brands, they're seeing upwards of almost seven weeks in delay in some that I've spoken to. Uh, golf apparel companies, I, I haven't heard too much about how they're doing. Are you hearing anything on your end? Yeah, I think, again, we're, we're in this situation where companies had to make decisions in in really in in March about sort of changing production schedules, changing launch times, and some made changes, some softened, some changed the amount of product that they were going to have in the market in in July, thinking, hey, we don't even know when people are going to start playing golf again. And it, it kind of started a lot quicker. You know, that's why you're seeing, for instance, uh, a company like Ping, which traditionally would introduce product uh, you know, kind of in this late summer time frame, had to make a decision, and and you see, uh, you know, a, cl a club like or a family of clubs like G four twenty five is on the USGA conforming list for drivers. Uh, you can go and see that it's being sold in Asia mm -hmm. uh, right now, or, or about to be, but that's probably not a product that's going to be out uh, in the U.S for several months and maybe not until 2021. Um, and, and so I think it's a, a, a question right now in terms of how companies uh, figure out what they were thinking they were gonna roll out in the fall, uh, what they actually are rolling out in the fall, what was in sort of inventory in, in right now and how they sort of stretch some of this over the next three months. Uh, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like you're in the fresh fruit business. You can't just start growing more golf clubs. Okay. Right. Right. You, you had to, you had to uh, make those decisions early on. So, uh, it I think there's going to be some opportunities if some folks, made some aggressive decisions, you know, and again, let's also talk about what types of things uh, are going to be purchased more often. You know, is it custom fit set of sets of irons or is it box sets of clubs? Uh, you know, if, for instance, if there's no college football in, in the Midwest and, and out West in California, there's a lot of people who, again, are going to have that time and money that they didn't necessarily that they were devoting to college football and traveling to games and watching games and and 
maybe golf really wasn't part of their mix. And now they decide, well, I got to do something with my Saturday. <laughs> and it's not, it's, you know, it's, it's not driving to Ann Arbor. It, it's playing golf with, uh, which I haven't done in 10 years. So get me a $400 box set of clubs and I'm, I'm good to go. And uh, so, I mean, I think that's a, a question because I know box sets are, are, are limited. And, and I think that's a, that's an interesting, uh, you know, that might be an area where uh, an enterprising smaller company could make a decision. Uh, could have made a decision in June and say, okay, we're going to just get load up on box sets and, and see what we can do with that end of the business. You know, I'm not hearing that, that any major company has decided to go down that route. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I do think we're really in an interesting time because of where inventory levels were. And I don't see those dramatically changing. There are obviously companies, Mizuno and, and, uh, and TaylorMade have both launched new sets of irons. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big launch, but, how much did they decide, okay, we're going to launch this stuff, but how much are we going to put out there? Because we had to make that decision five months ago or six months ago or eight months ago, whatever it was. And they maybe were conservative. And all of a sudden, you know, if you decided to have 5,000 sets when normally you had 15,000 sets and those are all gone in, in the first week and a half of, uh, availability. Okay. Where are we in, in late September and October when, uh, you were supposed to have a big splash with this launch and they're not really available other than, yeah, you can go get fit for them. And, and then, then you might have to wait six weeks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you can go to Costco now and get a hot dog and a new set of wedges, Mike. I mean, let's not forget about, uh... <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, I think that's, those are really good questions because you look at, you know, whether it's Costco or Walmart or, or obviously Dick Sporting Goods, those large entities can sort of make a snap decision to, to let's see what we can do to get in this end of the business. Like to me, Costco is the golf ball and the wedges and the putter that they've decided to do. Those are interesting ideas, but they could sell, 50 times the amount of those if they had, if they got into the box set business. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I understand trying to be, trying to legitimize yourself or, or basically trying to say, Hey, we can, we can make something as good uh, theoretically uh, as something that's twice or three times as expensive. And, and, and that's part of their business model. I get that too, but I don't, I don't generally see the same consumer going into Costco who's, you know, looking to buy a Vokey wedge. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's very true. <laughs> right. And, and so, but I do see the same consumer, like you said, who, who gets a hot dog and, you know, an 80 ounce, <laughs> you know, tub of, of vegetable oil or whatever the heck. Right. Um, and then remembers that their uncle likes to play golf and 
his birthday's coming up. So I, I mean, I think that's uh, uh, that's where the opportunity is going to be if you see the the same uh, trend and and a lot more beginning and new golfers coming coming to the game or returning to the game. They're probably not going to be necessarily in the five hundred dollar driver market. No, absolutely not. And, and I think everyone is learning now, especially the influx of new golfers, which of those buckets they fit in most comfortably. You know, even the newer golfers I've talked to, they're like, wait, I have to pay how much for a brand new uh, set of irons? Well, yeah, that's why you kind of go a couple years older, maybe get, you know, just a, something that you can help you get out and have some fun. Yeah. And I think that's where obviously something like Global Golf and their used club business is really doing well. I mean, they uh, Ed Byman and the team there have told me time and time again, they can't get enough used clubs. Uh, and this was before the pandemic. I think, you know, they're in a really interesting situation because I, I don't know uh, for a fact that they're uh, oversupplied. I got to imagine it's quite the opposite. And, and I think that the challenge uh, right now, again, in the, uh, in the way the used club uh, used clubs are being used as cash. Uh, in other words, if I can take my old set of irons as, as an established player and go through a fitting and okay, I, I'm through a fitting and I'm getting a new set of clubs and here's my old set of irons that they give me, you know, $150 for or whatever. Uh, that probably is happening. Is it happening as rapidly uh, maybe as, as, the used club market would want it to happen. I don't know. You know, I think there's also a big question mark uh, about uh, where fitting fits into the uh, life in the pan pandemic. Uh, I right. can tell you that I have not, I've had tons of conversations with fitters over the last uh, three months because we're in the process of, of doing our next uh, 100 best club fitter ranking. Mm -hmm. And there is not one fitter that I have talked to that has time to even fill out our simple questionnaire. That's wow. how busy these guys are. So, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, if it's, if you're a fitter of any uh, quality and, and you, you can get someone in within three weeks right now, that's really remarkable. That's, that's, it's not unusual for people to, to be booked two or three weeks in advance in the, in the uh, fitting business. So it's, um, you know, I, I can't think of a time where golf has been like this and it's really hard to compare it to anything else because it's all the enthusiasm is coming from a different place. Right. And, and it's, you're still kind of in the back of your mind, okay, well, what do we do with that now? What do, what's, what's sustainable about that? Uh, you know, if we keep introducing, you know, $500 drivers and, and, you know, $1,500 sets of irons, is that really how we build on this? By the same token, you know, if, people and e-commerce is becoming such a huge part of the game. Are we also risking a bunch of people getting clubs that are not right for them? Yeah. Or counterfeit. That's you know, believe me. Right. We just had the uh, announcement of a raid in, in China that was the largest right. ever. 
now again, that that raid was based in China. That I would guess the majority of the the people dealing with with these counterfeiters were sort of operating on uh, uh, Chinese websites, uh, Alibaba and, and and something like that. So it's it's not necessarily impacting the consumer here, but by the same token, when you're talking about that amount of tonnage of counterfeit clubs, uh, it's it's going to bleed into this market. I mean, any any enterprising counterfeiter can see what's happening here and say, right. "I want just give me one percent of that." Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that just emphasizes the point and the importance of people to become more educated now than ever before on the equipment that they're hopefully going to purchase to play. It's uh, it's it's really a weird time, like you said, Mike. And, you know, one of the, the last questions I've got for you, and once again, listeners, we're talking to, to Mike Statura of Golf Digest. You know, uh, clearly, at least for media types and, and uh, PGA professionals, one of the biggest events in the year, you know where I'm going with this, to get their hands on the new toys is at the PGA Merchandise Show. A few, maybe a month ago, two months ago now, there was a, a soft announcement that they're going to try one. Where do you see that ending up? Is it going to go virtual? Have they made that decision? What's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, obviously they have a, a West Coast show that was entirely virtual, right? Uh, in in August, uh, and and I think uh, I think it, the the show is such a fixture that it's going to be as late a decision not to have it as it can possibly be. I mean, there's obviously a lot of waiting for a vaccine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say that it would be highly unlikely that Reed would uh, cancel the show if things um, uh, got a little bit better than they are now. Not a lot better, but if they got a little bit better, I think Reed would try to figure out a way Read exhibitions. Who runs the show right. uh, would try to figure out a way to make the show happen. Uh, I think it would definitely not be the same experience. Uh, numbers would be uh, very controlled. Um, you know, the trade show business generally has not happened at all. Right. So I don't exactly see how a thing like the PGA Show Demo Day happens. Uh, you know, I, I do think there's, there's, there is a lingering fear that, Hey, if we go a year without it, we're going to find that we went a year without it and you don't need it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I, it, it's, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think for me personally, I think the show has been a missed opportunity for the industry uh, in terms of here's how we promote golf. Here's how we promote new products. Uh, it is not a selling show. It has stopped being a sh- selling show for more than a decade. Uh, it is to me a great promotional opportunity and, and the, the stuff around the show, the business meetings are, are almost like formulaic at this point. They're, they're like, well, I'll see you at the show. And why? Um, what right. what what exactly is going to happen at the show that couldn't happen at another time 
so I, I think the I I think the best thing that could happen and the most likely thing is that there will not be a show, but this is an opportunity to figure out how we use that idea to create interest in in the game or in this case maintain or build on the interest that you see right now yeah yeah totally agree with you and the other side of that equation of course is whether or not brands would send people to the show you know they have to make their own independent decisions as well um, but it's it's going to be interesting. I think the Rosen Center, the pit's going to really be hurt uh, <laughs> if people can't go down. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it's going to be one of those decisions that really, um, you know, obviously when January rolls around, if it doesn't happen, and I, I agree with you, actually, I think that's probably the way it's going to play out. That might just be a big eye opener for the industry in general, if people can act a little bit leaner, if they can find a way to do something differently, as you said, maybe use this as an opportunity in another way to replace as opposed to cancel, maybe there's an opportunity there where everyone could benefit. I, I, I totally agree. I think the worst thing would be for the show to be canceled and nobody to see this as, oh, well, that's just one thing I've erased from my uh, budget for the year instead of okay what do i do instead i mean you have kind of a a look at how things can be done with what taylor made decided by not going to the show how would they spend money differently i'm not sure that that's exactly what needs to be done i don't know that taylor made did all the things that they had hoped that they could do but i do think that there's an opportunity um, for things to go really well or for things to to fall off the edge and, and all of a sudden you've got uh, 20% increase in new golfers and, uh, six months from now, they're never, they're never playing golf again because we haven't made a, a concentrated effort as an industry to keep them in the game. True. Yeah. There's a lot of great opportunities out there for all brands. And I think, uh, if there is a silver lining to use that phrase that we used before we got recorded, uh, in this whole pandemic i mean it's great to see that golf is doing so well that so many new people are coming to the game and even coming back to the game to to enjoy it uh because you know even just for four hours four and a half hours you're in your own little normal world on a golf course and you can act the way that maybe you normally would yes exactly even if even if you're throwing clubs <laughs> it's it's a good good scent good frustration as opposed to the uh frustration that's that is the reality that we've been dealing with yeah very true sir very true well it's glad i'm glad to speak with you again it's always a treat i always learn something new from you and folks you can listen uh and read all of mike's uh thoughts on twitter at mike statura as well as all of his work over at golfdigest.com mike thanks so much and hope we can do it again soon you got it that was great thanks